It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask them for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Kate Frey, co-author of The Bee-Friendly Garden, which won American Horticultural Society's Best Gardening Book of 2017. Kate has won gold and silver medals for her designs at the Chelsea Flower Show, where she showcased her specialty, ecological, sustainable, biodiverse, floriferous gardens. Kate currently works as a consultant, designer, educator, and writer. Welcome to the podcast, Kate uh-huh. Frey. Yeah, thank you, Christy. I'm, uh, you're the first person that I've interviewed who I don't actually know. Um, I, I've usually, you know, I've rallied all of the people that I know so far. So this is going to be really interesting, and, and I'm excited to talk with you. Um, and, and after reading your resume, I feel like I want to follow you around for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, you, you're, so, you're so experienced and filled with knowledge. I, I hope we can uh, dig into some of that today. Um, let's start with your story. How did you come or what brought you to ecological gardening? Well, I, my first love was of nature. And I, I think as a little kid, as most little kids uh, uh, are attracted to, um, I loved being out in, in nature. My father was a librarian, and so we spent all of our time reading. And But then he would take us for walks in the in, in Tilden Park in Berkeley. Okay. And, uh, and so um, both my brother and I just felt such a connection there. Uh, and then exploring the world through through uh, reading and, and literature, too, I think just really opened. There was a whole world I knew I wanted to be engaged with. And then your, your world opened up to design. How did you get there? Yeah, well, I, I initially started working right after high school with... Um, the California State Park System oh. and, and the uh, state forestry. Mm-hmm. So doing fire prevention, trail building, campground maintenance, uh, and uh, each in the Santa Cruz Mountains area and in Idaho. Uh, and so each each job was just uh, so much fun, so so physical always, of course. But um, yeah, and, it, and you get to see. Well, because the, the forestry division has a very clear sense of what is nature and what you know where human interference has to happen and where it shouldn't. And you were you, I guess, for forest for clearing and that kind of thing. You were involved with that. Well, yeah. There's very much directives uh, when you work with the uh, the state parks or forestry. It's very very uh, regimented. Mm-hmm. There's no room for interpretation. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, uh, all the jobs are really educations uh, in themselves in in many many ways. And I think also just being being out in in nature in mount whether it's the mountains, high mountains in Idaho or Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, being out and interested in what was around me. Um, really made the educations more uh, more broad, and uh, and uh, just just being outside was something that I loved to do, and I knew that I always wanted to make part of my life. Awesome. So, you worked for a Saudi prince <laughs> on his organic farm for two years. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Well, I will first mention that um, it's not one of the princes who was invited to the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. (laughs) Uh, He um, was—we met through uh, a connection with the Chelsea Flower Show, Mm. and um, 
Uh, of course, uh, the Chelsea Flowers Show is the biggest media and social event of the year in the United Kingdom, and so the gardens there cost a lot to put on, and so all of them are marketing endeavors, whether you're, it's for a charity like Help the Aged or it's for the uh, Bank of Scotland or, or China. It's very much all about marketing, and mm -hmm. so the gardens that... Um, that we that Fetzer Vineyard sponsored, who I've worked for for 20 years in Hopland, California, uh, who had 2,000 acres of organic grapes and used sustainable practices and so on. Yeah. So they so they uh, hired a PR company in um, London to promote uh, the garden, and so there's a whole series of events that go along with that. But at any rate, the the lady who did our PR, uh, Rosie Harkness, uh, she used to work for the uh, the Prince's family as an English tutor oh. years ago, sort of thing, and, and she worked for the Prince's sister's family and uh, and then kept in touch with with the, the family at large mm -hmm. um, over, I don't know, it was 10 years or more previously. Uh, and they... they um, the, a lot of the Saudis are very egalitarian and not, not at all what you would think. And so they would invite all of their former staff back at any for any family event. So all the nannies, the boat captains, the tennis coaches, the various language tutors, uh, they would all be invited back for the uh, various kids' weddings and whatnot. And, uh, and they would fly them back and put them up for a couple weeks. So, wow. So she <laughs> at one point called the, the prince up, and Prince Abdullah, and she said during the recession, uh, is there anything I could help you with? Things are kind of slow here in London. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's something you could help me with, but what I'm really looking for is an organic gardener or farmer-carpenter couple. And so That's she very said, specific. Oh, I know, I know just the couple there. Uh, he was looking for a British couple. I know there's just a couple there, American. Uh -huh. So he arranged for us to uh, fly to London and meet him there. So we spent a couple of days with him, and he told us about his vision for the farm. And he was really interested in organic food and healthy living and was instrumental in starting the Saudi Organic Farming Association. Oh, wow. Uh, and so we really hit it off. And so... He, um, he said, well, why don't you come over for a look-see? And that, that often is, if you're going to work there, it's such a different environment than most of the Western world. Right. Some people take to it, some people don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, he said, well, why don't you come over for a couple weeks and uh, see what you think? And so we found us, ourselves on a plane over to Riyadh uh, three weeks later, like, wondering what the heck we were doing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and so um, he is just an amazing, uh, gregarious, um, interesting, warm uh, person. And so he uh, introduced us to, he was very engaged in um, overseas businesses and business people in Saudi Arabia. Oh. So he knew all the ambassadors uh -huh. and, and um, in the business people. And he just took us around and introduced us to everybody and sent us on a tour of organic farms in the kingdom. His, the farm was really a disaster. It was seven, seven acres, uh, but in the most beautiful romantic setting outside of Riyadh, surrounded on three sides by the old historic city of Dereya, which is now a World Heritage Center and, oh, and museum. Oh, always beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful old mud brick city with mm -hmm. ruins and uh, it was in towers and old castles. and So it was an amazing setting. And um, we spent a really busy two weeks touring and then cleaning up the farm and um, beginning to 
de develop a plan for changing the whole irrigation system from flood to irrigation to drip and introducing new varieties and methods, composting. And I was going to ask about the irrigation because this is Saudi Arabia we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, well, in that particular area, it's the farm is right next to the Wadi Hanifa, which is it's a, a Wadi is a dry riverbed. Mm. Uh, but these, when there is uh, rainfall, the rains are often uh, heavy and localized, mm. very localized, because the ground is so hard and dry. There's intense runoff, and so these wadis really function as uh, as major uh, water courses during the during a, a, a rain. Basin and so this this wadi had been um, completely restored and cleaned up, and so it was a, a public, long public park. You could probably walk for a couple of days with beautiful wow. limestone, and and it actually had a really high water table uh, there, and which which surfaced a little bit further down the wadi, and so there's actually a a creek that ran down the wadi and ended up in a uh, in a, a lake they used to biologically clean the water. Wow, so, that's lucky. Yeah, so there was, so I don't know the output of the well, but there was more than adequate water, especially when using drip irrigation. Fantastic. I, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have imagined that a possibility huh. there, really. The yeah, well, part of, part of how, the, so this is interesting, how they um, captured water in the wadi, because again, it's so dry, mm -hmm. the ground is so hard, is they scooped out the native soil every so often, and they filled it with friable soil and then planted uh, native uh, grasses and shrubs in it. And so when the water did come down the wadi, it, clean, it captured and allowed that water to percolate okay. uh, down into the groundwater and cleaned it. Wonderful. So jumping to another fantastic story you have, I love the photo of you shaking hands with Queen Elizabeth. That's really a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> thing, although you may have done it several times because mm -hmm. you've you entered into the Chelsea Flower Show yeah. a number of years. Um, the Brits must must have been really enamored with your California native landscape. Um, what what were the particular flowers or plants that you liked to work with at those events? Well, they were the gardens were a specific uh, concept. So uh -huh. they they were sponsored by Fetzer Vineyards, and they were concepts of uh, the organic vineyards in springtime. Uh, and so there was this, the same plants that you would see growing in the vineyards. So agricultural crops uh, like uh, different clovers and legumes, as well as uh, flowering uh, wildflowers uh, like uh, facelias, mm -hmm. goldfields, California poppies. Um, and gilia, uh, baby blue eyes, uh, and so the, the the gardens actually were true to uh, what was you would see in the vineyards uh, in spring. There, it's funny. I went to uh, Kensington Palace mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and they had an. Um, a matillaha poppy growing in the palace gardens, and I was like, this seems very out of place here in such a cold climate. But so I guess they're they're getting into it. <laughs> well, they've been into it longer than we've been. Oh, into really? It. They really have u using our California native plants. And How so? So, and well, in the, a number of them have been grown in Europe since the uh, mid uh, 19th century. So. Like meadow foam has been grown in Germany since I think 18, 
34 wow. or something, um, and was it's grown uh, is an, uh, an oil, high quality oil is extracted from it, and it's typical for for countries not to treasure their own their native flora and to want to grow what's exotic. And so the the British especially have grown our native wildflowers and shrubs for for many many years and have developed a, a whole number of cultivars of them, both annuals and shrubs. That's fascinating because I, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's there was the whole tulip fever and all of the you know the the idea of being fascinated with other cultures' flowers. That makes sense. I guess I just didn't think they would grow there, you know, uh-huh. our California natives. But well, I didn't do. think they would grow there well either. But <laughs> I, I knew that they grew them there. But I thought maybe they just grew them in the south of England and Sussex. Um, but. And so when we had two different growers grow our, our California wildflowers, in the first year, we thought we would have to keep them in the greenhouse. Well, they were not happy in the greenhouse. Oh, right. And so he had some outside, some inside. The outside ones did great. Uh, and so that was... So we learned that they were much more frost-hardy than we thought. The last two years, we had a grower in uh, Norfolk grow them, and that's in the northeast. And it's really cold there all the time and really windy and gray, and they were beautiful, oh. and they were all grown outside. So wow. <laughs> I think that if you think about some of our winters, maybe not so much now, but we can often have really rainy, cold, uh, gray winters. And yeah. so I think our uh, many of our wildflowers are adapted to drier but also uh, wetter. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So what plants do you find yourself using a lot where you live? And you, you live in Hopland, right? Hopland, yeah. California? Yeah. Well, we are, we've just, we're spending most of our time in uh, eastern Washington, in, in Walla Walla, Washington. Oh, wow. We just, just moved up there. So we're, we're kind of back and forth. But uh, in Hopland, I, I love uh, manzanitas. They're one of my favorite shrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, they're not, certainly not the only, the only plant, but I would say they're the, the shrubby manzanitas are one of my absolute favorites. And I, but I also love um, uh, our annual wildflowers, uh, too, I think are just... I love all plants. <laughs> it's hard. It's like picking a favorite child. Yeah. Right? Uh, let's talk about your new book coming out in November. It's called Ground Rules, 100 Easy Lessons for Growing a More Glorious Garden. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, uh, Temper Press uh, approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in, in writing something like that. They, um, they're putting out a series of, uh, I think all the books are uh, 10,000 words, so uh, just really quick, uh, easy, mm-hmm. little snippets of, of crucial information. So they had just had one, done one on uh, health uh, that was uh, really popular, and so they thought gardening was like the next, the next thing that they wanted to do. Okay. Uh, and so it's um, so it's a hundred, really, basically a, the crucial things you need to know for a healthy uh, garden. And does it focus on like your garden ecosystem or setting it up for habitat or? Yeah. What, well, what? it's it's separated. There's four different sections, and um, I'm trying to remember now. But uh, <laughs> one of them is uh, based on uh, soil, um, and then another one is uh, plant care. And uh, another is uh, life, really gardens of life, of habitat. And the other one is uh, design. Oh, perfect. Um, So there's, because no one thing will create a successful garden that makes you happy. It's a a whole combination of many, many 
uh, different practices. Right, that makes sense. And that comes out in November. Uh, yeah, October, I think. October. Okay, because yeah. I know when I looked it up, it said November. But okay, maybe I know, it changed. So my gardening book, when it came out, they it was set to come out in April, but it showed up in March. So uh-huh. it might be that they're they're ahead mm-hmm. of schedule. Let me ask you then about the bee friendly garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share a little bit about what that's about? Yeah, the bee the bee friendly garden is well. Just to, to back up, so um, Ten Speed Press uh, asked me and Gretchen Laban to, if we'd be interested in writing a book about uh, gardening for bees, Mm -hmm. uh, because there was, um, there seemed to be a dearth of information on it. And so they asked us to do a a search and see what was out there. And so we did, and and I was just shocked to see that there was nothing, there was no books in America or Britain that focused specifically on it. There was books on habitat gardening, but, and there's hundreds of books on beekeeping, mm-hmm. but there was no books specifically on planting and, and growing a bee-friendly garden. And so that satisfies the need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, to me, well, to me, it was a real opportunity because I feel like all of our gardens can be filled with life and flowers. And so this, to me, was a real opportunity. Absolutely. And apparently the American Horticultural Society saw that as a really good opportunity, too, and gave yeah. you an award for it. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. That's a really big deal. I, as, a, as an author myself, I know. I mean, getting anyone to read the thing, you know, that's like mm-hmm. right, right there. It's all about marketing. And then to get an award for it, that's, a real, that's fantastic. So, ah, I just want to follow you around. <laughs> all right. It is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip that you would like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Uh, yes. I, I think we've been talking about flowers and bees, but really the most important ask, the most important practice is um, developing healthy soil for vegetable gardens or flower gardens whatever agriculture to a small to a uh, garden in a container and and compost is the uh, the key to that so I just really can't underline that enough and to think about your soil first and then everything else comes from there yay thank you for saying that now I do have to ask you because I know there are some native native plant people who firmly assert that you should never add compost to native plants native soil for planting natives and and then the other faction is like well if you're adding you know don't buy crappy compost but all you know compost is essentially microbes inoculating your soil Mm -hmm. so where do you stand on that with natives and yeah well i've heard the same thing and i think first of all there's um it's best to stay away from sort of dogma that is except well we know that compost is good for for all plants even even cactus and our native plants really respond to compost i just take the chelsea flower show gardens as an example right uh you're importing soil for that event aren't you yeah and uh just so you might think our native wildflowers need a really lean uh, soil environment, but no, they are bigger, ro- more robust, bloom longer, or far more beautiful when they have some compost. And man- manzanitas, too, respond to compost. That doesn't mean you have to dig the compost in your soil. The best thing to do is just mulch with the compost uh, with native plants, and you don't probably don't want to use 
lots of uh, manure-based compost on some of our native plants. Saying that, some native plants, if you think about the floor of California, some it's from uh, areas where the uh, soil nutrients are really poor and other other plants are growing in more riparian areas. Mm -hmm. They really, they need a a very fertile soil and more water. So their native plants need to be thought of as individuals rather than just as a, a blanket thing. Got it. Thank you for sharing that expert tip, Kate. It's, it's been a delight talking with you. Um, how can people find you? Huh. Well, they can um, go on our website, which I do need to, uh, to update, but there's a lot on it already. It's uh, freygardens.com. So that's just F-R-E-Y, then gardens.com. Uh, and you, it should, should come up. And you'll see a lot of our blogs and loads and loads of photos of a lot of our garden adventures Right, including there. pictures of the, the Saudi, the garden in Saudi Arabia. Yes, which is, and Queen Elizabeth. And Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> you can see a picture of her shaking hands with the queen if you go to her website. All right, great. Thank you. And all right, garden nerds, you'll find links to Kate Frey's website and books on gardennerd.com this week. We'll also include links to some of those photos from the Chelsea Flower Show and the Princess Farm in Saudi Arabia. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information on gardennerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening! <laughs>